Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets. No, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. Or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece Chicken McNuggets, juicy Quarter Pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Seeing as we are here at Penn State. Cheap pop. The home of the Nittany Lions. Oh, very Nick Foley-ish. And the Rock, the Rock has had the privilege of playing right over at Beaver Stadium on many different nights. Stadium. Easy. So you see, The Rock just wants to remind you of something. When you mess with The Rock on SmackDown, you mess with the people on SmackDown. But you see, they have a little saying up here, and it goes like this. We are. It goes like that. But see, yeah, you have that stupid look on your face like, oh, what did God? What did God? We up here. I don't understand. Well, you will understand. You see, tonight, we're going to do a different saying. The people chant the people, we're going to do a different saying. And it goes like this. Anytime you mess with The Rock tonight, every night, every arena across the country, this side will say you are, that side will say an asshole. No! Wait a minute. They can't do that, can they? And you give it a little example of what it sounds like on the count of three. One, two, three. Vince McMahon, you have pride. You keep that some bitch going. What's up, everyone? Don Tony here, and welcome to another edition of This Week in Wrestling History. Officially, it is Season 2, Episode 12. This week, we cover the period of March 19th through March 25th. And we're right smack in the season of WrestleMania. This week, we only have to cover three. But in the next couple of weeks, obviously, we will have to make up for that. I think last week, we may have only gotten into two. But we'll get to that a little bit later. So I want to start off immediately. 1979, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at the Maple Belief Gardens Arena. You had a historic match. And as you will see on the synopsis photo for this week, it graced the cover of almost every wrestling magazine when it went down. And that was a champion versus champion match. The AWA heavyweight champion Nick Bockwinkle fighting the then WWF champion Bob Backlund. They fought for almost 40 minutes, ended up with a double count out. They were both outside the ring. You know, of course, 
you had the NWA champ versus the WWF champ or the AWA champ against the WWF champ or the AWA champ against the NWA champ, usually ended with a DQ or count out. I don't remember if Harley Race actually got pinned at all from Bob Backlund, but this was a pretty big match. I know for some reason in more recent years, you have some legendary wrestlers besmirch Bob Backlund's heavyweight championship reign from 78 to 83. I was a young fan at the time. I loved Backlund. He sucked on the mic. But I'm telling you, I was at the Garden several times as a kid when he was heavyweight champ. Yeah, by 82, 83, it started to get a little bit tiresome of him as champion. But my God, you look at today's day and age, people think CM Punk's 434-day reign is unfucking believable And Backlund had it for five years almost. So, you know, he his title reign was great. And you listen to a lot of the matches or you watch it on TV and you see uh, the crowd going insane. And what I love about Backlund matches at the time, the one that always sticks out for me more than anything else is Backlund versus Stan Hansen in a cage. And it was just weird because for years and 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 years, going back to my hotline days in 1997, I always wanted to see that match again. I wanted to see it in good quality because I remember the energy of the fans. And it was a pretty damn good match. And when the WWF or WWE Network uh, launched and they debuted the old school section, I think the first event they put up, that event with Stan Hansen versus Backlund in the cage. But if you watch that match, you hear a buzz in the arena and as the match goes on, the buzz gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And when Backlund exits the cage, just listen to the crowd. Does that look like they're not into Backlund as heavyweight champ? And that's 1981. Backlund won it in 78. Remember, so Backlund was already a champ for a couple of years. Don't listen to a lot of legends. They're very, very bitter, the fact that Backlund not only got the belt, but actually held it for that long but just to put in perspective, you know, Frank Tunney was the promoter of this event. And we all know, you know, they follow, you know, the history of wrestling, how important Frank Tunney was in wrestling. One of the greatest promoters, if not the greatest wrestling promoter of all time, arguably by a lot of people. And, um, you know, just to see a lot of that interaction with other promotions was pretty cool. And you look at this card that happened that night. It wasn't just Bockwinkle versus Backlund. You had um, Dewey Robinson over Al Costello. You had Jimmy Snooker and Paul Orndorff, who were the NWA tag champs at the time. They beat Ken Patera and Big John Studd. You had Greg DeHama Valentine uh, defeat Dino Bravo. Ricky Steamboat, who was the U.S. champion at the time, beat Ric Flair. I mean, you had all different promotions on that card, and it was really, really sweet. And for anybody that's going to ask, I have never found footage of this. I think one of the agreements when you had these in, in some of these interpromotional matches is they did not record them. However, we do have footage of some of the other matches. I know Race versus Backlund is even on the network, if I remember correctly, so... Speaking of uh, the network, 1980, another event you could find on the network, Kerry Von Erich makes his Madison Square Garden debut, defeating Jose, Jose Estrada. 
And you look at Kerry Von Erich at that time, he had an amazing physique, even in 1980, but he was so fucking young. And um, I don't know, I can't remember what this finisher was. I don't know if it was the Sunset Flip. Might have won with a Sunset Flip, if I remember correctly. But now we're in 1981, in my first clip, and as the years go by, just more and more... I absolutely fucking love Lance Russell on commentary. You know, a lot of people will always feel that Gordon Soley is number one, Jim Ross number two. Lance Russell, I arguably put in number three. He's just got the voice for it, loved his commentary. Yeah, sometimes he would make some mistakes here and there, but Lance Russell still bothers me to this day as far as... Um, you know, him not being able to put Jerry Lawler into the Hall of Fame. Remember all that controversy with William Shatner? If you're not aware of it, go look it up. It's pretty messed up when you look back on it. Lance Russell is now passed on, but I want to share with you a legendary match that took place at the time. And after a little bit of uh, bonus promo, in 1981 at this time, we were about to experience a major feud in Memphis between Terry Funk and Jerry the King Lawler. This led from no DQ matches to cage matches to empty arena matches, and a lot of these matches are famous. And this week in 81, they had their no DQ match. So here for your enjoyment is a couple of promos and also a majority of the match between Lawler and Funk. Enjoy. We're going to have a special no time limit, no disqualification match for the AWA Southern Heavyweight title when the former world's champion, Terry Funk, brought in by Jimmy Hart, will be going against Jerry the King Lawler. You know, I'd like to say one thing right now. I understand that some of you don't like professional wrestling. Well, there's several people that I don't like in professional wrestling either. And I don't claim to be Cassius Clay, or I don't claim to be Sugar Ray Leonard, or I don't claim to be Stonehands. I claim to be a whole hell of a lot tougher than what they are. And Jerry Lawler, I'm going to take this fist right here and I'm going to ram it right down his throat. And I can wrestle, too, if the man wants to wrestle. And so can my brother, who's going up against the world's heavyweight champion. So you're going to have both funks on that card. You're going to have both funks trying to do what others have tried to do. And we are going to do it. Because believe me, Lawler, I'm going to take his fist and I'm going to raise it above your head. And I'm going to pound on you. And I'm going to pound on you and I'm going to pound on you till your brains turn to marshmallows and your eyeballs turn to jello and anybody else in that arena I don't care who you are that wants to try me come on Thursday
because he's used often. That is slipping up under the ring. He's faster than anybody I've ever seen around that ring. Uh-oh, Lawler takes a shot. Punk may have caught him very low. Wasn't caring if he did. Headbutt puts Lawler on the deck. Punk. Fortunately for Lawler, still
swinging that thing like a big axe. Referees at the eight count. Nine. It's going to be a count out. Not a disqualification, but a count out. You know, I used to have a lot of respect for Terry Funk. But now I think you're a low-life scum of the earth, just like Jimmy Hart, the man that brought you in here, Funk. And the next time I get you in the ring, I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life. I'm going to do the same thing with Hart if he gets close to the ring. Of course, the title is on the line this time, and I uh, got to tell you that Terry Funk uh, has some opinions of you that you may not care for. Like for you to listen to a couple of words that Terry had to say. Acting like a fool and an idiot with a crown on his head whenever I believe in stepping into the ring with nothing but a pair of tights on, going in and competing at a dead level best. But a guy like Lawler, he likes to use illegal tactics like his fist. Well, let me tell you something. Is I can use my fist. I'm not Cassius Clay. I'm not Sugar Ray Leonard. But I... Sure know how to knock a man out and I would love nothing better to take Lawler and take this fist and drive it right down his sick putrid throat. Uh, well, obviously uh, those are his feelings. Well, that's just fine. He, I think the same thing only worse about you, Funk. You, you showed me what kind of man you were and now I'm going to show you what kind of man I can be. You're going to see the old king in Louis. Tuesday night, you'll see it. Fast forward to 1991, WWF has their WrestleMania 7 Superstars and Stripes Forever from the LA Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles. You had Coco Beware over the Brooklyn Brawler in a dark match. The pay-per-view itself, the Rockers over the Barbarian and Haku. Texas Tornado over Dino Bravo, the British Bulldog over the Warlord. The Nasty Boys over the Hart Foundation to win the tag titles. Jake the Snake Roberts over Rick Martell in the blindfold match. The Undertaker over Jimmy Snuka. Ultimate Warrior over Randy Savage in a retirement match. Well, I will always remember from that match, Bobby Heenan's commentary, especially at the end where Savage and Elizabeth reunited and the women in the crowd not only crying, but ugly, ugly, I'm sorry, I just say it, ugly, ugly, ugly motherfuckers, and Bobby Heenan just laughing at them, I mean, he didn't call them ugly or anything, but they would, like, do, like, close-ups of their faces, and I remember one woman, she had, like, a vein popping out of her forehead, it was just so freaking funny, I mean, he had me rolling, it was so funny, but... Genichiro Tenru and Koji Kateo uh, over Demolition, but this was Crush and Smash. Big Boss Man over Mr. Perfect, uh, only by DQ, so Perfect remains the IC champion. Earthquake over Greg Hammer Valentine, Legion of Doom over Power and Glory. Virgil over Ted DiBiase by Countout. The Mountie over Tito Santana in the main event. Hulk Hogan defeats Sergeant Slaughter to win back the WWF Championship. By the way, this WrestleMania was The Undertaker's first. Jimmy Snooker's first ever Mania opponent. Same week, 1991, WCW was in Japan. They had their first ever uh, WCW New Japan Super Show. Some people will call this Starcade 1991. There was controversy in the main event because of the uh, WCW Heavyweight Championship. 
basically, you know, the simplify this. During the pay-per-view, they announced that Ric Flair's NWA World Heavyweight title was on the line, but not the WCW Heavyweight title. And in the United States, we considered both the same belt. I guess overseas, it's not considered the same. At the same time, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami was the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, and the announcers on pay-per-view said that belt was not on the line even though the announcers, when they introduced each opponent, never mentioned that that belt was on the line. But anyway, before I even get into the controversy at the end, let's get into the match results. Uh, you had Animal Hamaguchi, Ken, Kenjo, Kengo Kimura, Osamo Kito, Kantaro Hoshino, they defeated the super strong machine, Hiro Saito, Tatsuyoshi Goto, and Norio Honaga. You had Shiro Koshinaka, Kuniaki Kobayashi and Takayuki Izuka over Tim Horner, Brian Pillman, and Tom Zink. Scott Norton over the Equalizer. Jushin Dunnelager over Akira Nogami to win, uh, actually to retain the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Arn Anderson and Barry Windham over Masasaito and Masahiro Chono. The Steiners over Hiroshi Hase and Katsuki Sasaki. Uh, to retain the not only WCW tag titles, but apparently win the IWGP tag titles. El Gigante over Big Cat uh, Hughes, Big Van Vader and Crusher, Bam Bam Bigelow over Doom, Ricky Choshu over Tiger Jeet Singh, The Great Muda over Sting, and in the main event, Tatsumi Fujinami defeats Ric Flair. And, you know, at the time, we thought that Tatsumi Fujinami won the uh, NWA Heavyweight Championship. After the match was over, they had like a press conference, and Ric Flair was yelling and screaming, took back the WCW World Heavyweight belt, said he would ha- uh, Fujinami would have to come to America to take it from him. So for two months, Tatsumi Fujinami was recognized as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. But if you go into the record books here in the United States, even with WWE, they do not recognize Fujinami as a heavyweight champion. And I believe they did have a rematch uh, with Flair regaining the NWA title. But really, this was just father by WCW to you know, clear up a lot of the confusion and controversy. But we've had more than one controversy like that with someone winning a belt in Japan. Remember, we talked about Antonio Inoki versus Bob Backlund not too long ago. So there you go. Same week, WrestleMania, this super show in Japan. We had in Mexico, Conan losing a mask versus hair match against Pero Guayo. Took place for CMLL at La Arena, Mexico. And it's a pretty famous match. I don't, I've, I'm not going to lie. I've never went out of my way to watch it. But major, major praise over the years for that match. 1993, WWF creates the Hall of Fame. The first year, they only inducted Andre the Giant. Basically did a little video package. Nothing else. It wasn't a ceremony or anything like that. But now we look at the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, there's a lot of debate from a lot of people. Some people don't take it seriously because it's not a physical Hall of Fame. You've had wrestlers do that, but at the same time, you have other wrestlers who take it very seriously that will get very emotional. And I absolutely love the fact that there's a Hall of Fame 
yeah, it may not be a physical one at this time, but it's still acknowledgement enough by their peers and fans to pay one last thank you for people who paved the way for those of today, my opinion. 1994, we have WrestleMania 10. This is the first WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan, by the way, and this was the WrestleMania where we had two WWF championship matches. Because remember, because of the Royal Rumble with the controversy of Lex Luger and Bret Hart, they were both going to be involved in title matches on this event. Dark match, Heavenly Bodies over the Bushwhackers. Pay-per-view itself, Owen Hart over Bret Hart. Awesome match. Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna over Dink and Doink the Clown. Randy Savage defeats Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And this would end up being Randy Savage's last TV match for the WWF ever. Lonja Blaze retains the Women's Championship, defeating Leilani Kai. Men on a mission over the Quebecers by countout. Yokozuna, who's the heavyweight champ, defeated Lex Luger by DQ for the WWF Championship. Mr. Perfect was a special guest referee. Yeah, for people that ask, and I get this off and on over the years, we all thought Lex Luger was winning the belt. Absolutely. Did we think that he was going to lose it back to Brett that night? Honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember, and I think if that was something that we were really convinced was going to happen as well, then we would have remembered that, me and my you know, my friends I've talked to over the years. But Lex Luger, when he lost, we were like, um, okay, Lex Express, you know, July 4th, 1993. A lot of shit went down with momentum with Lex Luger. We were surprised that he didn't win that night. Earthquake over Adam Bomb, Razor Ramon. Defeat Shawn Michaels in the, well, it wasn't the first Devil Adam match, but it is legendary. Yes, it is very, um, I don't want to say watered down, but it's very, uh, it's, it's much more a simpler match compared to the ladder matches we see in this day. But it was revolutionary at the time. It was a big fucking deal. We all loved it. And it's sad to see young wrestling fans of today that don't understand the historical value of that match that some people really do put it down. You'd be surprised how many. So Bret Hart over Yokozuna to win the heavyweight championship. Roddy Piper was the special guest referee. 1995, WCW has their uncensored pay-per-view from Tupelo, Mississippi. You know, I always remember this pay-per-view for two reasons. First off, the blacktop bully over Dustin Rhodes in the King of the Road match. They fought inside the back of a flatbed truck. Looked like, you know, there was hay all around, and he had, uh, you know, all these foreign objects. They had cameras and other vehicles filming it. I thought it was a pretty cool concept. And the way you win, they had a horn in the back of the truck. Whoever sounded the horn was the winner. I know it sounds kind of corny for anybody out there that's never seen it, but it was a pretty damn good match. Sadly, though, and you know what? It's not sad for, for Dustin Rhodes, but, you know, for the blacktop bully at the time, it was sad for him. They both got fired because they bled during this match. WCW had a no-bleeding rule. Um, as you will hear in a little bit, WWF had one as well in 1997 as far as no blood. And uh, that was not followed in WrestleMania. And you will hear the person in his own words explain it a little bit more into detail. So you had the blacktop bully over Dustin Rhodes. They both end up getting fired for bleeding. 
Also, who could ever forget the tragedy that is uh, the Renegade? That weekend leading up into the pay-per-view, you know, we all thought the Ultimate Warrior was coming to WCW. Hulk Hogan teasing the ultimate surprise, you know, doing everything they can to make it sound like the Warrior was going to be debuting. And then right before the pay-per-view, Hogan reveals his ultimate surprise. And I remember people fucking, you know, my friends in school, you know, talking about pausing the video, looking at it. It looked like Warrior, but it didn't look like Warrior. There was something about his face that was a little off. His body looked a little bit wider. But, you know, some of us thought Warrior was coming in. Ended up being Rick Wilson. And, you know, it said, you listen to some interviews over the years. There's a lot of um, appreciation for Rick Wilson. You know, I I shouldn't even say appreciation. A lot of sympathy would be the better way to put it. Did it suck? Absolutely. I hated the fucking renegade character. You know, it looked like the warrior. He did not wrestle good. You know, for those that don't know, Rick Wilson was a male exotic dancer. And he decided to get into wrestling. And for his credit, he actually trained at the Kowalski School. You know, he trained uh, at the same school that trained people like Triple H and China and others. So this guy really tried to make it as a wrestler. And they brought him in as an Ultimate Warrior ripoff. You know, originally fans wanted to get behind it. You know, he was in the corner of Hogan, which helped you a little bit. But in the end, he was just exposed. I remember the god-awful shit that he did with Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson tried so hard to carry this guy. But, you know, it ended up failing. He disappeared for a little bit, came back for a cup of coffee in the late 90s with uh, WCW. They didn't have face paint on him. I think he teamed up with Joe Gomez at the time, was not over at all, and he would get released. And from the depression of just failing and just not, he killed himself. And he was uh, a little older than 30 at the time. So you listen to some interviews over the years. I think there's some guilt uh, on this, the side of WCW for putting so much pressure on an inexperienced guy like that, especially when everybody expected the warrior. And then he looks like a warrior ripoff on top of it. But anyway, matches from uh, Uncensored, Dark Match. Well, it was really on main event. Alex Wright over Mark Starr, Steve Austin over Tim Horner, Stars and Stripes over Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. The pay-per-view itself, Blacktop Bully over Dustin Rhodes. You had Ming over Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a martial arts match. Johnny B. Bad over Arn Anderson in a boxer versus wrestler match, which was god-awful. Macho Man Randy Savage over the Avalanche. Big Bubba Rogers over Sting. The Nasty Boys over Harlem Heat in a Texas Tornado match. And in the main event, Hulk Hogan defeated Vader in a leather strap match. Uh, Ric Flair originally was a man um, tied to the strap at the end. Uh, So Hogan defeated Vader, but he actually defeated Flair. And the reason why they did that was because we learned later in interviews that Hogan and Vader did not want to lose to each other. So WCW came up with a compromise. Ric Flair would get involved in the match and somehow would be tied up to Hogan at the end. Hogan would touch all four corners. The bell would ring. Hogan wouldn't win. So on the, in the record, but Hogan defeated Vader, but in all actuality, defeated Flair. 
We got another clusterfuck later on, everyone. It involves AJ Styles. It's not his fault, but just some of the god-awful booking of TNA. We'll get into this. Just some uh, interesting stuff coming, I promise you. 96, WCW is uncensored once again from Tupelo. Dark matches, Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn, over Dean Malenko, Jim Duggan over Big Bubba Rogers, Dick Slater over Alex Wright. The Steiners and the Nasty Boys fought to a no contest. The pay-per-view itself, Conan retains the United States Championship, defeating Eddie Guerrero. The Belfast Bruiser over Lord Steven Regal. Colonel Robert Park over Medusa. The Booty Man with the Booty Babe. Oh, just watch the intro. That's all I'm going to say. Never forget that. For just For some reason, I will never forget the Booty Babe from this night. Uh, he defeats Diamond Dallas Page, the Giant over Loch Ness, Stinger Booker T over the Road Warriors in a Chicago street fight, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage defeat Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Meng, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, the Gangster, and the Ultimate Solution in a Doomsday cage match. 1997, WrestleMania 13. One of the greatest matches of all time. Absolutely loved it. Pay a little tribute to it in a moment. First off, dark match from that night. Billy Gunn over Flash Funk. The event itself, the headbangers over Furnace and LaFon. The Godwins and the new Blackjacks in a four-way elimination match to determine the new number one contenders for the tag titles. You have Rocky Maivia retain the IC Championship over the Sultan. Triple H over Goldust. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Versus Mankind Invader, that ended up in a double countout, so the tag titles did not change hands. Ahmed Johnson and the Legion of Doom defeat the Nations of Domination, which was Crush, Farouk, and Savio Vega in a Chicago street fight. The main event of that night, The Undertaker over Psycho Sid in an ODQ match for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. And the main, uh, the main event, in my opinion, even though it wasn't the main event that night, one of the most infamous matches in WWF history, Bret Hart over Steve Austin in a submission match. Uh, Ken Shamrock, the special guest referee. I know a lot of people call it an I quit match over the years. It was really a submission match. See who would submit. Obviously, Austin would not submit. He would pass out from the pain. You remember the the iconic shot of him bleeding and you know just showing the pain. It's fucking awesome. And I originally was going to stream part in a match, but I'm sure a lot of you out there have watched it countless times. So instead, I decided to pull a little audio clip from uh, a recent episode of Steve Austin's podcast where he talks about this match, and more importantly, he talks about bleeding in general. And he actually shares a little behind the scenes of uh, what went down and him bleeding, and I know a lot of people to this day think that Steve Austin got busted open hard way, but as you will hear, that's not the case, and pays a lot, big-time tribute to Bret Hart. In the same token, though, he actually pays tribute uh, to a few other people as well. Check this out. All right, let's stick with another wrestling question. Steve, I recently watched Russell War 92, and that was, of course, the War Games match. You were busted open pretty early. You were busted pretty good against Brett in the I Quit match at Mania in 13. But, man, you looked legit hurt at the end of this thing. Knowing what we know now about blood poisoning and the risk of HIV, how scary it is, now to look back and see eight guys bleeding. Kind regards, Alex Prentice from Northern Ireland. 
Man, I tell you what, Alex, man, looking back now, it's 2017 with a bunch of guys bleeding in the ring. It seems like the dumbest thing in the world, especially when you got there. You know, and it's not hard ways, just razor blades. You didn't think about it back then. Towards uh, the end and, you know, in the 2000s, you know, when I faded out in 2003, you started thinking about it more then. But really, and it's crazy, it's absolutely crazy to think that no one would give two shits and guys were concerned but that was just the way the business was that's the way we were all wound up that's just what you did and believe me it's a very foreign concept when uh someone comes up to you and says oh i'm not foreign well if it's new to you if it's your first time to get color is said, hey man we need you to bleed during this match well how do i do that i don't teach you that in wrestling school but to go back to your point you know, as much as they test these guys these days, and I talked about it on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, you know, I'm all for color. The guys are all tested. Everybody's clean. It's just like a UFC fight. Somebody bleeds in the UFC or in boxing, all those sanctioned events to sporting event, everybody's tested. So, you know, everybody's uh, clean with respect to the diseases you're talking about. Same with pro wrestling. But going back to the, to the uh, mindset of the day, you know, when you went into a war games match, you know just about everybody entered that some bitch somehow, some way was going to get busted open during the course of that match. So it wasn't nothing but a thing like a chicken wing on a shoestring, man. Uh, go out there, pick your spot, and uh, get you some color. It was fun because that's what we were doing, and there's an art to it. And you know you're doing it to try to keep asses in seats or put asses in seats for future shows. And it went with the story, and the story was violent. And blood happens when things get violent in a wrestling ring, especially two rings under a steel cage that's called war games. So it was fun. It was crazy. We weren't thinking about it. We were just doing it, hoping people were digging it. And that's the bottom line. You know, we're going to move on to the next question. And since we're just talking about War Games 92 and all the bleeding. Here's another a question about bleeding, and I'll give you an answer to it. it. comes from Don Chisholm over in Nova Scotia, Canada. He says, hey, Steve, the WrestleMania 13 match with Bret Hart is my favorite match of yours. The psychology between you and Bret Hart is some of the best work in the business history. My question is, you asked Bret to blade you. How come you asked Bret to do this, and was it common for the wrestlers to ask their opponents to help them blade slash get color? Well, Don, here's a story. I've told it before, and I'll tell it again, and it was also in Bret Hart's book. When we showed up at WrestleMania 13, there in Chicago, we went to the finish room. Myself, Bret Hart, and Vince McMahon. Vince laid out the finish. Pass out in a sharpshooter from the pain. That was it. Go out there and do the rest of the match, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the night, at the end of the match, you're going to pass out in a sharpshooter. And so anyway, Brett and I both went out in the arena. We just kind of walked around a little bit, and I circled back there and went and talked to Vince. I told Vince, I said, man, are you sure about that finish? You think it'll work? And Vince looked at me, and he goes, oh, goddamn, Steve. Yeah, it'll work. And so I was sold, hook, line, and sinker. So anyway, I went back out to the arena, started talking a little bit with Brett. We were shooting the shit. And uh, – at the time, there was a no-color policy going on in WWF. Zero color. Don't do it. And, uh, you know, Brett looks at me, and he goes, Steve, he goes, if you're going to pass out in a sharpshooter, you need to have color. I looked at Brett, and you got to understand, I've only been in the company 
I don't know, whatever it was, a year. I didn't have a whole lot of stroke yet. Brett was a veteran. He had stroke. He had a little bit of power, and he, he was going to use it. So uh, he says, you need to have color if you're going to pass out in a sharpshooter. And I said, man, I said, I don't know, man. I said, I don't know. And he goes, I'll get it for you. I said, you will? He goes, yeah. So I didn't ask him to get color for me. He offered to get color for me. And what he was doing, he wasn't offering to just to do the act. He was offering to take the heat. That's the thing about what he was offering. He was taking the heat because there was a no color policy. Now, if Vince would have asked me what happened, I'd have lied to him and said I got busted open when I hit my head on that guardrail when I, he reversed me into it. That's what I'd have said. Uh, but nonetheless, what Brett was doing was taking the heat. And I'll uh, give you, a, for example, when I was working with Chris Benoit one night on a Monday Night Raw, we didn't get enough time. We were working a live television match, and I was mad because I was such a fan of Chris's work that we didn't have more time, and we didn't have a better match than we did. And so the next night, there in his hometown on SmackDown, we were working live to tape. And I told Chris, we had a short time. It's probably 13 minutes. I told Chris, I said, hey, man, I said, I don't know how long we're going, but here's how we're going to do it. And I don't see you making a proper comeback on me. I see you just grabbing me and giving me 10 German suplexes or belly-to-back suplexes. And that's your comeback, and then we'll go into the finish. Shit, we had a fishbone of things carved out to do. We knew that was his comeback. And I told Chris, I said, don't worry about the time. I got it. So what I was telling Chris was, hey, man, I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. If we're going overtime, if, if, the, if, if the old man, if Vince has a problem with it, I'm going to take the heat. I'll answer the questions. You're under my umbrella policy. That's what Brett did for me. I was under his insurance policy. He was taking the responsibility for it. And so that's one of the reasons why, first of all, I've always loved Bret Hart's work. I can't, uh, he's, he's just, he's one of my favorites of all time. And for him to pick me to come out of retirement, Bret Hart is uh, such a big part of the career and success of Stone Cold Steve Austin is unbelievable. So to go out there and have that match with him and then, you know, to pass out in that sharpshooter and that iconic footage and that iconic photo of me just giving it everything I got to get out of that hole with blood streaming down my face, through my teeth, through my goatee and onto that mat was iconic. And that was one of the things that helped me get over to a large degree. So I didn't ask him. He offered. It was his umbrella policy. He was protecting me. He was the veteran. And he could explain his way out of this. And here's the bottom line. I came back from the match. Brett came back. Shamrock did an awesome job as, as a guest, a referee, enforcer. Nobody said shit. Nobody said shit because, hey, it was one of the best matches in the history of WWF. It was a big-time pay-per-view. We delivered. It was a semi-main, but goddammit, we did a double turn. That's where the money was, and we did it, and we executed it. If you had to say 10 out of 10, 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10, that was a 10 out of 10 match. It was a 10 out of 10 execution as far as getting the business accomplished at hand. And following Vince's orders. We followed his orders and we added a little salt and pepper to it. So it was just an amazing time. And the cut was so minimal, it was unbelievable. The placing was impeccable. Uh, the amount of blood was perfect. 
Uh, you know, it wasn't a bloodbath. It wasn't gory. It was a lot of blood, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't a bloodbath, and it was so simple. It was so easy and so effective, and that's how good he was. And that's you know the best there is, the best was, the best there ever will be. Man, I just got finished talking about how badass that thirty for thirty was with Ric Flair. But I mean, you know, same thing can be said with Brother Hitman Hart. There's so many parallels of so many guys that have gone up and down the road and reached a high level of work in the ring. Flair was Flair, and he was one of a kind, and Stone Cold was Stone Cold, and he did his thing, but Bret the Hitman Hart was Bret the Hitman Hart, and he loved the business. And you know what? Going back to that Chris uh, Benoit match on SmackDown, you know, it was one of the biggest compliments you could tell somebody, uh, and anytime you have a match, you always want to say, hey, thank you, man. Thanks for the match. That's what you do. And that's proper respect. That's protocol. Things might go bad. It might be a pile of shit. You might not click. The crowd might be the shits. They might be dead. Uh, you might not be over. The crowd might not be reacting. But that's what you do. That, and when I first got into business, you know, I didn't know that you were supposed to thank your opponent after the match. <laughs> I caught a little bit of heat about that because Chris didn't smarten me up to that. So back to the story with Chris Benoit. Uh, you always think you got the match, but anyway, me and Chris met after the match, and we knew we hit a grand slam with that match, and, and Vince came out and interfered, and uh, whatever he did, and we busted Chris open with that belt. That was a legit hard way, and he goes, man, thanks for the match, and you know, I was such a big fan of Chris, and I, I believe that he was a fan of me, and we genuinely liked each other, and he looked at me and had this look on his in, in his face, and then this look in his eyes, and he said, Steve, he goes, you really got me over. And that resonated with me because he understood what I was trying to do. And it was my job to get him over. And I did, but he had to get himself over by doing what he did. He, he I couldn't just carry him to a great match. Fuck, nobody had to carry Crispin Wild, but he had to do what he, what he did to get over. But yeah, I set the table for him and then he fucking ran it. But he thanked me. He goes, you really got me over. And man, it was one of the biggest compliments I ever got after a match by a guy that I work with and a high-level guy at that. I always appreciated that about Chris Benoit. Same week, happened right before WrestleMania. We had the Slammy Awards taking place from Chicago, Illinois. You know, it was aired on the USA Network. You could actually watch it on YouTube. You know, it was what it was. You know, there was a lot of corniness to it. You know, when you have fucking some of the awards and some of the participants in it are Tommy Lee and Drew Barrymore and Cosmo Kramer, you, you could, Steve Urkel, you can see where this is, Sigfield and Roy, the Clintons, I kid you not, Howard Stern. Yeah, they were all up for awards that day. But um, I'll always remember Owen Hart stealing a Slammy. And do you remember what award he was supposed to present where he stole the Slammy? Don't know? Uh, I'll share it with you. It was the best bowtie award, if you remember. And the nominees were Bob Backlund, Clarence Mason, and Steve Urkel. 1999, you know, I got to tell you, man, off and on, I get people asking me, you know, in older episodes of Raw, Attitude Era, if I could pick like one random episode for someone to watch, top to bottom, beginning to end, like a phenomenal Raw episode, 
I honestly and truthfully feel. March 22nd, 1999, top three of my all-time favorite episodes from top to bottom. Yes, the ECW Invasion of 97 is up there. The Owen Hart tribute, because of the emotional factor and all the tribute, is up there. Eddie Guerrero, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for those as well. But as far as entertainment value, top to bottom, March 22nd, 1999, probably my favorite Raw episode of all time. Now, I'm going to give you three highlights from that night. And just keep in mind, this is leading into WrestleMania. This is not the night after WrestleMania. And uh, the main event that night was going to be Steve Austin versus the big show, Paul White. This was the first time they ever uh, called Paul White the Big Show. So he actually debuted as the Big Show this week in 99. And this was Big Show's first ever in-ring match for the WWE as well. So um, that was a big deal. But early in the night, you had Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon and The Rock in the ring. And they were hyping up WrestleMania, hyping up, uh, you know, the main event later that night. And during this promo exchange mankind comes out and he wants to face the rock one more time and they even came up with a stipulation that whoever wins the match will be the guest referee later on in the night between steve austin and the big show so up until this point you know not too big of a deal but nice way to set up the main event and then this happened Six days from WrestleMania, many of you are saying, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Austin has to take on the big show in this ring. And you know, you're right. It's not fair. So therefore, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that Austin is six feet under... make sure that Austin is six feet under and to make sure that things are fair tonight I'm appointing a very special guest referee in the Stone Cold Big Show match tonight and that referee will be The Rock oh please yeah that's real fair King between tonight's main event of Stone Cold Steve Austin and the big show Paul White. What do you say, Vince? Uh, I like that proposal. Mick, that you've been having one too many brews with Stone Cold in the back. Right. Listen it up. Hey, Rock, what do you say? One more time for old time's sake. The great one, that's you. 
the testicular one, that's me, getting it on one more time. What do you say, champ? Well, after The Rock contemplated that, the great one says you can kiss his ass. <laughs> oh! Yeah! <laughs> hey, uh, Rock, I gave that up for Lent. What? <laughs> and you know what? He thought you'd say that, and Vince, he also thought that you'd make The Rock the special referee for the main event. So what I did is I went to San Antonio... And I got Commissioner Michaels to sign, seal, and deliver a contract saying that in that very ring, there will indeed be a match between The Rock and Mankind. What? And the winner will indeed referee the main event between The Big Show and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right here tonight, live, King! If you smell la 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 la, what the suck? <laughs> it's cooking! King, live here tonight in Albany! Rock Mankind! The winner, the special guest ref for the Austin Big Show match, right here tonight, live! Mankind has stuck it to the corporation! I'm sure Shawn Michaels is having his little fun in San Antonio, Texas, the commissioner. That's all right. Rock, you won't mind one more time taking mankind apart, will you? Matter of fact, the Rock will lay the smackdown on his candy ass. Yes! Much similar to the Greenwich Street fight that we're going to see in Albany, New York. Check it out. WrestleMania, give me a hell yeah! You damn right, because Stone Cold Steve Austin has been jerked around long enough. And I will say this: with Paul White as a special referee, or without him, it really don't make a damn. Because that belt is coming with me, and that's all I got to say about that. For the last few weeks. Shut your little lips. Why come that punch your little glasses off right now? For the last few weeks, I come out here and I sit here and listen to you spend your little nursery rhymes about 
Jabroni Avenue or Know Your Own Boulevard. Jesus Christ, son, you better get your ass serious because Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to take his ass to Philadelphia, check right in to the SmackDown Hotel, roll right in to Room 316, and burn that son of a bitch to the ground. Look at me. Take your little glasses off so I can see your eyeballs, son. Pull them off because I want you to look right here. When that bell rings and the match is over, you are looking at the next WWF champion, and that's the bottom line from Stone Cold Sexton. Can Stone Cold Steve Austin is focused? As far as right now goes, the big celebration afterwards, Stone Cold's going to drink a hell of a lot of beer. But I think we ought to share a little pre-match beer right now. What's a pre-match beer? He's going to break. I'll tell you what, hey, Stone Cold Jabroni, you come out here and you make your idol threats like you're the great one. But obviously you're not. So The Rock says you take that truck and drive it right back down. Know your wrong boulevard. You drive it right back. Drive and you check your candy. Wait a minute! She had the infamous moment with the beer bash take place. Didn't happen at the end of the night. Happened at the beginning. So they had to get all that beer out of the ring um, for the rest of Raw. And at this time as well, Jim Ross, who unfortunately had recently suffered Bell's palsy. And it was really full-blown at the time. And you look back on it. You watch these episodes, and yes, they were trying to turn Jr. heel. But he now had Dr. Death Steve Williams by his side. And for anybody that did not watch the Monday Night Wars at this time, or Raw, or even Nitro, you watch these episodes, you understand why 
you know, was so fucked up. Not just Oklahoma making fun of JR's Bell's palsy, but when you actually see JR with Steve Williams by his side in segments during Raw at this time, it was, you know, just a real insult to see the very same thing on Nitro, but making fun of JR's Bell's palsy and Steve Williams, you know, being by Oklahoma's side as well. But this week, you had Jim Ross and Steve Williams actually at a fraternity house in Albany, New York. And it's a frat house, if I understand, that's still around to this day. I can't remember the name of the frat house right now. I think it was the TKE fraternity house, but they called it the Tech frat house. But CJR there with all these college kids was pretty funny. And in case you need to reminisce a little bit, here's basically what went down while they were at the frat house. The big, sh- big show gonna take on Big show's gonna take it. They got nothing! Uh, hey, what? You screwed up my match and I'm fixing to screw up your party, boy. Hardcore, huh? 
busted up. Yeah, yeah, oh. Yeah. oh, cameraman. Cameraman knocked out in his hardcore match. The stove. There goes the stove, the refrigerator. Now we lost transmission. So you have a brawl at the frat house that looked pretty fucking cool, even though they were playing, you know, the interferences, because they wanted to end in pretty much no contest. You have the beer bash, and you don't even get into the matches yet that took place that night in the arena. You had Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart retained the tag titles, defeating the Brood. Billy Gunn, who's the hardcore champ at the time, and the Road Dog, who's the IC champ, they actually fought each other in a title versus title match. Went to a no contest. Sable over Ivory. Mankind defeats The Rock by DQ, so Mankind becomes a special guest referee later on in the night. You had Shane McMahon versus X-Pac ending in an O'Contest in an Albany Greenwich Street fight. Corporation of Shamrock Test and the Big Show and the Ministry of Darkness. Yes, they were teasing the Corporation versus the Ministry of uh, Bradshaw, Farouk, and The Undertaker. That ended in an O'Contest. And in the main event, Steve Austin defeats The Big Show, Paul White. Mick Foley, special guest referee. Some of the matches ended in no contest because they're leading into WrestleMania. They weren't going to have so many, you know, major changes in titles or anything like that. The storylines were all uh, set in stone. But just for entertainment value, I don't know, man. March 22nd, 1999, from beginning to end, loved that episode. On Nitro's side that night, you know, they they were in Florida. And, you know, they were at... I can't remember the venue right now, but, you know, they had the college uh, kids there, pools, you know. I mean, the weather was nice. And during Nitro, they did a segment where Rey Mysterio knocked Ric Flair into a pool. They actually did a, was it a Miss Monday Nitro? I know know some people called it a Miss NWO contest, but I think it was a Miss Monday Nitro contest. And uh, Kevin Nash entered Tori Wilson, who we weren't, uh, we didn't know her yet at the time, which was pretty cool. Even during that segment, Kevin Nash name dropped Sable, which got a lot of buzz at the time. But I'll always remember this night as well because of this entertaining promo that Bret Hart cut during Nitro. Uh, Discontented. Remember that word. I like that word. Haven't heard it used enough over the years. But a discontented Bret Hart talks about Hulk Hogan, Goldberg, Ric Flair, and the pencil. How about if we bring out this man? He has held numerous titles all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spring Break 99. Bret the Hitman Hart. of execution, the best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be, say what you want to, I really think, if you break it down, Mike, today, you've been following this career of this fine second generation star, I think it's a credit to the wrestling profession, you may not always like his attitude, and maybe I can understand it at times, however, I can tell you this right now, Bret Hart is a man who knows how and can perform in the ring, you can answer that mic next segment, Gene, it's all yours. Bret Hart, if you can break away from embracing this crowd here tonight in Panama City, the word that I get is you're a little discontented with the way that World Championship Wrestling has been treating the hitman. Discontented, that's a nice word. You're not happy. You know, Gene, I came here to earn a reputation, not lose it. You know, I've come to the WCW. It's been over a year. 
You know how many world title shots I've had in one year? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Try this. Try zero. I don't get any respect here in the WCW, and I'm frankly a little sick and tired of it. You know, Ric Flair stuck his nose in my business a few months ago, cost me the United States Heavyweight Championship belt. He likes to fancy himself a tough guy. Ric Flair, you remember me a year ago coming into the WCW? You remember who wiped the floor with you? Me. The excellence of execution. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Still the same. You know, as long as you're dropping names out here tonight, Brett the Hitman Hart, I'm very curious. Many have said, insiders have said, that the dream match of all time would be you and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. What about Mr. Hogan? What about Hulk Hogan? Hollywood Hogan. People have dreamed about the Hitman versus Hulk Hogan for so long. Frankly, I've lost patience with it because I don't believe it's ever going to take place. But I do know one thing. Hulk Hogan, you know and I know that it comes down to you and me. We are the two biggest entities in the history of wrestling. And for some odd reason... We've never had a match. All right, I'm going to throw out another name. I'm going to cut you short here because there's a number of names we can talk about. What about the guy we saw out here a little bit earlier on at seven foot tall, big sexy Kevin Nash? Some grudges never go away. Kevin Nash, same thing. You may be seven feet tall, but you remember all the different times that I fought you before. And I can beat you now just like I beat you all those other times. You may be the pencil. But I'm sure I can be the eraser. Here's another name, uh, as long as he's fresh in my mind. What about Goldberg? Goldberg. Goldberg. Goldberg is a guy that's been hand-fed opponents for so long. He's ducked me and hid from me. But the one thing about Goldberg, he's never had to step in the ring with a real technical wrestler. All the muscles, all that brawn, that's not going to help him if he ever steps in the ring with me. And Goldberg, you may be back there in the dress room wetting your whistle after a tough match, but why don't you just step in the ring with me one time? That's all it'll take, one time. Here's a guy that ran his string out to 174-0. Goldberg, a man that has proven himself time and time again as one of the roughest, toughest men. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even five minutes ago in this ring that he proved it again. Goldberg has never fought any real tough competition. I could beat Goldberg in five minutes. You could what? Beat him in five minutes? You are underestimating Goldberg, please. I got a wrestling background of the likes that nobody, nobody has ever seen. And Goldberg, I want you to listen to me loud and clear. Five minutes, I can beat you, and you'll be sorry that you ever stepped in the ring with me. Well, Brad Hart, I hear that chat in the background. Five minutes. Who's he kidding? Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Things are starting to heat up in Panama City. We're right back. Wrapping up 1999, we had ECW and the Living Dangerously pay-per-view take place from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Dark match, Nova and Chris Chetty over Danny Doring and Roadkill. The event itself had Super Crazy over Tajiri, Balls Mahoney over Steve Carino, Little Guido over Antifaz del Norte. Rob Van Dam retains the TV title, defeating Jerry Lynn. New Jack over Mustafa, eh. Spike Dudley and Sid, yes, Sid Vicious, over the Dudleys. 
You had Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas defeat the Impact players. In the main event, Taz defeat, well, who was the ECW heavyweight champ at the time, defeats Sabu, who was the FTW champ at the time, in an extreme death match to unify the ECW and FTW rec, uh, world heavyweight titles. A belt that was never recognized by ECW was still unified. Look, I'm a diehard ECW fan, and even that at the time, I was like, okay, some of this doesn't make sense. I mean, remember the storyline why Taz brought out the FTW belt, but if you're not going to recognize it, why are you unifying it? Anyway, this week in 2000, we had the segment on SmackDown where Stephanie slapped her mother, Linda, in the face. Stephanie has done numerous interviews over the years saying that this was the hardest thing she'd ever have to do on TV. Um, you know, if you follow the storyline at that time, Linda would get her ultimate revenge on Stephanie at the Backlash pay-per-view. We'll get into that pay-per-view when uh, it's covered in April. Um, but, you know, a lot of the fucked up storylines were always supposed to lead to a positive conclusion down the line. That was the justification of Vince just being an absolute pig in front of his wife in a wheelchair and all this other stuff. You, you know, you get, you get it. 2000, we have the uncensored pay-per-view once again from Miami, Florida. And this would be the last pay-per-view before we had Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo on basically television. And this would also be the final uncensored pay-per-view in the history of WCW. This pay-per-view was not good. Um, I, t I know a lot of you aren't into Meltzer ratings, but if you really want a good laugh, look at the Meltzer ratings for this event. Um, there are numerous matches that don't get one and a half stars. And when I say numerous, I probably mean like six or seven matches. That's how bad they were. Yeah, the artist over psychosis to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. Norman Smiley and the Kiss Demon over Lenny Lane and Rave. Bam Bam Bigelow over the wall. Brian Nobbs over three count to win back the WCW Hardcore Championship. We covered that original title change a couple weeks ago. Billy Kidman and Booker T defeated Harlem Heat 2000, which was Big T and Stevie Ray. Vampiro over Fit Finley in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Arguably, that was the best match on the night. Kid you not. The Harris Brothers over the Mama Lukes to win the tag titles. Dustin Rhodes over Terry Funk in a bull rope match. Sting over the total package in a Lumberjacks with casts match. Sid Vicious over Jeff Jarrett to retain the heavyweight title. And Hulk Hogan over Ric Flair in a yappa pie. <laughs> we talked about that recently. Yappa pie. Uh, 2001. We teased it a little bit last week. We thought Fusiant, Eric Bischoff, were going to be buying WCW. Uh, if you look at the stories over the years, the rumored original purchase was going to be anywhere from 20 to $40 million. And when it happened last week that Turner decided they were canceling Thunder and Nitro from the networks, and there was no longer TV for WCW, as Eric Bischoff has said repeatedly over the years, WCW is worth the hill of beans. So one week we think Bischoff and Fusion are buying it, and the following week, we get a press release. Happened this week in 2001. Press release was, and I quote, 
WWF today announced the purchase of World Championship Wrestling from the Turner Broadcasting System division of AOL Time Warner. The purchase of WCW creates a tag team partnership with the World Wrestling Federation brand that is expected to propel the sports entertainment genre to new heights. In keeping with the company's strategic alliance with Viacom, new WCW programming is anticipated to air on TNN in the near future. The possibility of cross-brand storylines and intrigue, however, may start as early as Monday night during the WWF Roar's War on TNN and the final performance of WCW Monday Nitro live on the TNT Network. And it goes on and on and on in his comments from WWF and WCW, which was really sad. And obviously, for any longtime listener, you've heard me brag about it. There are a lot of people that are still around that witnessed it. I wish back in 2001 I was taping hotline reports on a more frequent basis, but uh, it's legendary now. Once we got this press release, that night I went on a wrestling hotline that was hosted by a guy by the name of Captain Ivan. I know some of you still talk to him to this day. And he had me on. I had my own hotline as well. And we were talking about the purchase of WWF buying WCW. And he had said to me, just in casual conversation, what do you think is going to happen Monday? I said, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised because you got to remember the storyline at the time that Shane was feuding with his father, Vince. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do a little simulcast, maybe showing Raw and Nitro side by side. And they, you know, have Vince bragging that he bought WCW. And at the very end, we find out that a McMahon bought WCW, but it was not Vince on the dotted line. It was Shane. And we would find out that Shane bought WCW. And then you would have Shane representing WCW versus Vince representing WWF. And sit it right on his hotline. And that pretty much got me noticed by a lot of other places. Not as far as like having connections and sources. It's just being having a, the knack of really in detail predicting stuff. And look, I'm not here right now to brag or anything like that. But I always say it, yeah, to be cocky, I'll admit it. But you listen to me when I'm on other shows with other hosts and we make predictions with storylines, future things. And if you go do a a YouTube search, you will find that 95% of all the predictions, yours truly, which I take pride in. I like being right. I don't care about being first. I like being right. And I like having hunches that end up happening. But anyway, you know, I did not like the fact that I ended up being right. I really wanted Bischoff to buy WCW. Did we think Vince was going to fold WCW at the time? No, because there was so many wrestlers on the WCW roster that we honestly thought that they would go ahead and keep it alive and possibly just, you know, have a second promotion. And we started fantasizing about a lot of fantasy matches we never thought would happen. Unfortunately, that did not pan out. They did the invasion storyline. It wasn't as bad as people like to paint it over the years. Was it disappointing? Absolutely. Were there people absent from it? Absolutely. But you look at the pay-per-view buy rate for invasion, that storyline leading up to that invasion, it's not like everybody pre-ordered invasion a month early and then they were like, fuck, I can't take back my purchase. Look at the pay-per-view buy rate for invasion. That should tell you if people were still into it, even without some major players in that storyline. But still, 
when we saw that press release, it was depressing. And then when we tuned into Monday Nitro that night, we got this from Eric Bischoff. For those of you in the arena and all of you watching around the country this evening, I very much would have chosen to be there tonight in person if I could be, but given everything that's going on tonight, uh, that's just not possible. Many of you may know that for the past six months I've been working with a group of people whose goal it was and is to acquire World Championship Wrestling and to grow it once again to become a competitive, dominant wrestling organization worldwide. But recently we've hit a couple roadblocks that may be, in fact, brick walls. And while it is still in my power, I want to do something befitting of what could be very well the last night of wrestling on the Turner Networks. Given the fact that wrestling has been such an important part of Turner's history in the, over the past 29 years, I've been thinking over the weekend of what I could do to provide as exciting of a program that this, as this historic event should be. To that end, I want to make an announcement now that next Monday night in Panama City is indeed going to be a night of champions. By that, I mean every championship will be up for grabs, starting with the World Cruiserweight Championship, the Cruiserweight Tag Team Championships, the World Tag Team Championships, the U.S. title, and the World Heavyweight title will also be up for grabs next Monday night in Panama City. And Scott Steiner, Booker T, I want you two to be aware now that your match is going to be a title versus title match. The contracts are prepared. A WCW representative is standing by to make sure that the contracts are executed. Read them carefully. Sign them. Be prepared to defend your titles next Monday night. And also, given the historic nature of this occasion and my relationship with this company for nearly 10 years, I want to personally extend an open invitation to any former, and I mean any former, world heavyweight champion in WCW to join us in Panama City. And don't be afraid to bring your boots with you. So next week is officially the anniversary of WCW going out of business, Nitro going off the air. Sad. We'll get into it, maybe play a couple little interview clips here and there instead of highlights from the event itself. Almost one year to the day from that happening, we had the first ever draft between Raw and SmackDown. Some people called it the brand extension or the uh, roster split at the time. Um, It was pretty cool. I mean, the storyline at the time was Ric Flair and Vince McMahon being partners. Since you now had so many ECW and WCW guys on the roster, they decided to have Raw and SmackDown be their own separate brands and almost trying to cover up the fact that WCW was done. And it was a cool draft and a little trivia question, who was the first person ever to be drafted by the WWE? And that, obviously, as you heard at the very beginning of this broadcast, was The Rock. But um, let's share a little bit more of the back and forth that night once Vince McMahon announced that The Rock was going to be drafted to SmackDown. Finally, The Rock has come back to Penn State! Uh, I mean, that'll be the next phase band on SmackDown. Vince McMahon, you made The Rock your number one draft pick. You're taking The Rock from Raw, taking The Rock to SmackDown! 
and seeing this, this is going to be The Rock's very last Raw. Well, The Rock wants to go out with a bang. Uh-oh. I don't like the sound of that. Very last Raw. Let The Rock remind you of the history The Rock has made right here on Raw. It was on Raw that The Rock won the WWF title. I remember that. That's true. It was on Raw that The Rock teamed up with Mick Foley and made The Rock and Sock Connection. Horrible. Very forgettable. Oh, yeah. You look at The Rock like big deal, right? That's no big deal. Yeah, WWF title, Rock and Sock Connection. How about this? It was on Raw when The Rock took your face and shoved it straight up Rikishi's ass. Oh, no. Deep, deep, deep up the keister. You thought that was funny too, didn't you, Dale? And now you want to take the rock away from all of this. Is that what you want to do? Do you really want to take the rock away from this? What I want to do, It doesn't matter what you want. The only thing that matters is the Rock clear up a couple of things to you. Is you never made Hulk Hogan. And you damn sure didn't make The Rock. The Rock didn't even make The Rock. The Rock's parents, genitalia, did not even make The Rock. You can't say that, can you? Just so you understand, crystal clear, it was the people who made The Rock. There you go. Absolutely correct. Oh, boy. Enough, you already made him. And speaking of the people, listening to the people, as The Rock always does, Seeing as we are here at Penn State, Cheap the home of the Nittany Lions. Oh, very McFoley-ish. And The Rock, The Rock has had the privilege of playing right over at Beaver Stadium on many different nights. Hey. Beaver Stadium? Easy. So you see, The Rock just wants to remind you of something. When you mess with The Rock on SmackDown, you mess with the people on SmackDown. But you see, they have a little saying up here, and it goes like this, we are. It goes like that. But see, yeah, you have that stupid look on your face like, oh, what did God, what did God, we up here, I don't understand. Well, you will understand. You see, tonight, we're gonna do a different saying. The people chant the people, we're gonna do a different saying. And it goes like this, anytime you mess with The Rock, tonight, every night, every arena across the country, this side will say you are, that side will say an asshole. No! Wait a minute! They can't do that, can they? And you give it a little example of what it sounds like on the count of three. One, two, three. This is Vince McMahon. You have pride. You keep that some bitch going. 
proctologist convention. Resend your pick, Vince. You know, they had a couple of special stipulations at the time. Since Triple H was the undisputed WWF champion, he could appear on either show. Um, Jazz was the women's champion, so she could appear on either show. You had Chris Jericho had a match for the undisputed heavyweight championship the night of the draft. Um, so he wasn't drafted that night, but after he l- lost his match, he went to SmackDown. Um, and it goes on and on. Steve Austin was considered uh, having immunity from the draft by Linda McMahon, but he decided he was going to go to Rick uh, Rick Flair's Raw anyway. And the rest is history. Now, we'll get into another draft in a little bit with a couple of audio clips I think you'll find entertaining. 2003, we find out that Bill Goldberg had signed with WWE. And we wouldn't have to wait too long because right after WrestleMania 19, he would debut on television. We will highlight that when the time comes very soon. 2003 as well, Ring of Honor had the Night of Champions event from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One match in particular everybody remembers from this night. B.J. Whipner over Alex Arian, Dixie, and Matt Stryker in a four-corner survival match. In a tag team scramble match, you had Special K over Quiet Storm in the SATs. The Backseat Boys over the Ring Crew Express, uh, Doug Williams over Christopher Daniels to win the number one contenders trophy and the FWA World Heavyweight Championship. Homicide in the Hit Squad over the group which was Samoa Joe, C.W. Anderson, and Jack Victory. The Carnage crew over Mace and Hot Stuff Fernandez. AJ Styles and Amazing Red, they defeated the Briscoes to retain the tag titles. Loki over Jody Fleisch. Raven and Colt Cabana over CM Punk and Ace Steel. And the main event, Samoa Joe defeating Xavier to win the Ring of Honor Heavyweight Championship. And that would begin Samoa Joe's reign 645 days. Pretty big fucking deal. 2004. We have another draft going down. This was the draft lottery between Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff on Raw, Paul Heyman on SmackDown. Now, this was a big deal because we were really singing the praise of Paul Heyman being the GM for SmackDown, doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes as well. And when they did the lottery, you know, they had everybody's name with balls in a thing. And you would randomly pick a ball. And whoever it was, they got drafted to your brand. So during the draft, we had Paul Heyman, who was about to pick. And he was interrupted by John Cena. Ladies and gentlemen, it is once again time for Paul Heyman Smackdown to take a piece of of raw history away from Eric Bischoff. (laughs) Oh my! The doctor! The franchise is crashing this party. 
Paul, don't get hot at me. He's wearing a neck brace because he's blowing the whole lottery. I heard that about you. He ain't the one-way type. Belita hype. John Cena more raw than Monday night. I'm the lottery pick they both want to get their hands on. This ain't no junior high dance. So fellas, keep your pants on. <laughs> oh, and if you draft me, save your t-shirts. I ain't kissing your butts. We in the D, baby! So you can choke on D's nuts. General manager, but I'm making the next pick. Hey, you can't listen to me. I'm, you're not supposed to do that. This is my. I'm giving you one ball, but you still got no. The ever controversial U.S. champion. Hopefully, Cena's got the minus touch here, Taz. Well, let's look. This ain't, a, this ain't a real pick. Is this legal? This, this ain't a real pick. No, it's, it's a, a real, real pick. pick. That's no. your pick. Stick with it. You've no. got no choice. He picked it. I did it. You pick right now. That's yours. You own it. Take it. You're lucky I'm an injured man. If I wasn't an injured man, what I would do to you is something that you ain't. You, uh... Who is it? You Just sure you want me to read this out loud? Yes! I <laughs> want you to read it out loud. Would you please? Well, well, Mr. Bischoff, since you insisted that I take this pick... <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, Paul Heyman Smackdown is very pleased to welcome... Triple H! Oh my goodness! The game! Talk about smacking your TV! Triple H is on SmackDown! So now we have John Cena picking a ball, and it would be revealed that the ball, who he picked for Paul Heyman, would be Triple H. Triple H not happy going to SmackDown. In fact, as you will hear later on, Triple H would never even spend one day on SmackDown. We'll explain why in a little bit. But during the night, we have matches, we have draft picks, you know, a few things going back and forth. And at the very end, we have Eric Bischoff, who I believe was supposed to pull the final draft pick from that night. And it was a big one because this went down. If you don't mind, and quite frankly, even if you do, pick the final member of the SmackDown roster because I can't stand 
any of them anyway, and let's get this over with. Come on, JR, who do we need? Kurt Angle, Big Show? That works. Well, for my next... I... For my next... I... I can't believe this! What? I mean, Vince McMahon said everyone... That means everyone is eligible for the lottery draft and I can't... Who is it? Say it already! Get it over with! Paul Heyman! Oh my God! Paul Heyman! Paul Heyman! It just so happens, Paul, I mean, this is going to work out great because as it turns out, I could really use some help. In fact, I've got some, I've got some laundry that I need to get taken uh -oh. care of. I got a car, uh -oh. needs to be washed. I mean, I got a lot of things that I need to take care of. And Paul, I can't think of anybody better than you. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I built ECW with both you and Vince on my back. I made SmackDown what it is today, Paul Heyman SmackDown, and and and, and I I could do the same for Raw, Mr. Bischoff, except uh, I'm unwilling to appear before these animals that you call a Monday Night Raw audience. And, and most of all, Eric, I would never. Sell my soul to a piece of slime like you. So let me spell this out for you so that even Eric Bischoff can understand this. Eric Bischoff, screw you. I quit. What? Quit? Two words, five letters. I quit. Can Heyman be serious? So now... Because Paul Heyman will not work for Eric Bischoff on Raw. Paul Heyman quits. So now, because Paul Heyman quit, we no longer have Heyman as a SmackDown GM. So we're wondering who's going to be the SmackDown GM. SmackDown airs a couple of days later. And we open up with Triple H's music. Now, at this time, we are under the impression Triple H is now a SmackDown wrestler. But obviously, we would get swerved. Well, that is great news. Kurt obviously not trained. 
you call my vote. I don't know, but I spoke to Jim Blades earlier today, and I'll tell you, the game is pumped and primed and, and ready to, 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 to be here. I'm just shocked and anxious out here. Well, I am glad to say, like you mentioned earlier, that Kurt Angle is still a part of SmackDown. Kurt Angle not involved in the draft, and obviously well, well, not traded. Well, cool. who hasn't been traded? You know, the game, the, I don't know. Inside scoops, something. We're going to find out tonight. All right, all right. I know that you're all expecting Triple H to come out here about now. And I'll explain that in a minute. But first, there is a pressing issue that needs to be discussed. Who will be the new general manager of SmackDown? Paul Heyman's unexpected departure has left a significant void. And it is my pleasure to announce that a new general manager has been named and is here tonight. This person is someone with class. This person is someone that you're all familiar with. This person has a last name that is synonymous with wrestling. It's gotta be Stephanie Man. Gotta be. And is not in it for the money or fame, but is willing to give up their personal goals for the sake of the greater good. And I am proud to say that the new general manager of SmackDown is me, Kurt Angle. What? the new general manager? Blockbuster news. I'm shocked. I can't believe this. I thought for sure it was going to be Stephanie McMahon. That's what I thought. Oh, it's true. I have made the ultimate sacrifice. I have put my wrestling career on hold. I have set aside my personal goals of becoming WWE Champion again. Did I do it for me? Obviously not. I've done it for all of you, the SmackDown fans. Because I believe that I can make a difference. And I will fight for what I believe in. And unlike my predecessor, I will not back down to anyone. I will not be physically intimidated by anyone. That's why when Triple H came to me earlier tonight, came right up to me, face to face, and demanded a rematch with Eddie Guerrero right here tonight on SmackDown for the WWE Championship. 
I looked into his eyes and I said, no. Triple H will not be facing Eddie Guerrero for the title tonight. As a matter of fact, Triple H will not be on SmackDown, period. What is Kurt Angle talking about? You hear what he just said? Oh, I heard it. Because in my first act as the new general manager, I traded Triple H back over to Raw. What? Traded him? Traded him to Raw? Bad move, Kurt. No, bad move. Kurt Angle traded Triple H back to Raw. Well then, man, who did he train him for? Maybe this isn't bad. See, I'm not in it. Listen, listen up, folks. I'm not in it to win any popularity contest. I'm in it for one reason and one reason only. To take SmackDown to newer and greater heights. And I believe that the trade I made, the superstars that I acquired for Triple H from Raw, will do just that. See, the first two superstars that I got, that I acquired for the trade with Triple H, happened to be a part of the most successful tag team in the history of this business. Ladies and gentlemen, the Dudley Boys. The Dudleys? Whoa! Coming to SmackDown! That's all good! Wrestling later on tonight, I'm sure it'll be very brutal. But the Dudley Boys are the only superstar I acquired for the trade with Triple H. As a matter of fact, the next superstar I believe will be the most dominant superstar in SmackDown for years to come. He's a man that would like to come out here and say a few words. He is a five time WCW champion. No. Ladies and gentlemen, Booker T. Booker T. Smackdown. Can you dig it, baby? The new general manager wheeling and dealing. Mr. Bookman. Three for one. Triple H traded back to Raw, but look who we got in return. The Dudleys and Booker T. Uh, that's a great trade, man. I'll take the Bookman any day along with the Dudleys. It's all good. Booker T in the prime of his career. He's been a main event. I'm predicting Kurt Angle's gonna be a great general manager. Wow! Not off to a bad start, my book. I gotta agree with you, partner. I didn't. Bookman up in the house. I thought I'd see Booker T on SmackDown. Well, he looks good in that ring, though. And we're gonna see the Dudley Boys in action later on tonight. Oh, this is shaping up to yeah, be well, some night. We're gonna get to see the Spinner Rooney, maybe. Do the Spinner Rooney, book. Yo, look, man. I'm going to just get right down to it. I wish I could come out here and tell you I was excited and happy and overjoyed to be here. We're happy to have you. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not. What? See, the last 72 hours, my life have been turned upside down. I didn't have nothing to do with it. I didn't have one say in it. And I don't like it.
But what I did like was wrestling on Raw. See, no disrespect to none of these fans in here, but the Raw fans, they appreciated Booker T. They respected everything I did. And no disrespect to you, Kurt, but compared to Raw, SmackDown is the minor leagues. Oh, come on. You know, I walk around the back, I see all the superstars back there, a bunch of great talent, a bunch of good hands, guys with great futures, great bodies. But guess what? I'm better than each and every one of them. I'm better than your champion, Eddie Guerrero. I'm hotter than John Cena. And I'm bigger than the Big Show. Whoa. Hell, I'm better than The Undertaker. Whoa. Whoa. Look, man, what I'm really trying to say is, what I'm really trying to say is, I don't want to be here. So officially, what the trade was, was Raw would get Triple H back, plus A-Train, plus Chuck Palumbo, and in return, you uh, SmackDown would get Booker T, which, as you heard, was not happy, the Dudleys, Rico, and Miss Jackie. So that was the official trade that brought Triple H back to Raw. And same night... Wrapping up that episode of SmackDown, we had Bradshaw come out and introduce us to the JBL character. Brought out his book, Have More Money Now, talking about, you know, his wealth and putting down the crowd and he had the the, the JBL music. It, It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was something different. You know, we were used to him being in the APA. But his look changed a little bit. He was more on Fox News all the time. And this character was absolutely necessary. Now, yes, some of the storyline with JBL wasn't all that great at times. You know, I never liked the storyline between him and Shawn Michaels. But overall, JBL character was pretty damn good. A really good heel. I don't know if all of you feel how you feel about it, but I like JBL as a heel. Absolutely. 2005, leading up to WrestleMania, which was supposed to, well, it did feature Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels battling it out. So Kurt Angle, in an attempt to get under the skin of Shawn Michaels, he keeps announcing that he's going to bring up things from Shawn Michaels' past. Now, you remember last week or the week before, we talked about Marty Jannetty coming back. Wrestling Kurt Angle. Not having a pretty damn good performance. It's just a shame the stuff that we uncovered, which is why uh, Marty Jannetty's you know, return was cut very short. But this week, in an attempt to further the storyline more, Kurt Angle surprises everyone by bringing out Sensational Sherry. Looking as beautiful as ever. 
So sad that she passed away as young as she did, especially when you understand the reasons why. But it was really cool to see Sherry back on TV. One-shot deal. But Kurt Angle brings her out. And we'll always remember the segment because of this. People from the start, I said that I would outdo Shawn Michaels. And I proved that I was a better athlete. And tonight, I'm going to prove that I'm a better entertainer as well. Now with me is a woman who turned Shawn Michaels from a nobody to a somebody. Shawn Michaels' first manager, the beautiful, sensational Sherry. Now, Sherry, we all know that you helped out Shawn quite a bit earlier in his career, but obviously, I didn't need anyone's help when I won the Olympic gold medal, but that's beside the point. The point is... Your influence on Sean still lives today. Every time HBK's music is played, everyone around the world knows that it's your voice, Sherry, that's screaming Shawn Michaels' name. Now, me personally, I think that song sucks. No offense. I mean, Shawn Michaels thinks he's so great because he sang his own song. Well, Sean, as I've been telling you, anything you can do, we can do better. Hit the music. What does he mean by that? Oh, oh, I think I'm cute. I got no matter. I got the moves. That makes them all tap out the angle slam. The angle lock. Marty Janetti. Still can't walk. I'm just a sexy girl. Sexy girl. I'll make your ankle hurt. Ankle I'm just a sexy girl. Sexy girl. I'll make your ankle hurt. Ankle hurt. Woo. That's right, Sean. Eat your heart out. Hands off the merchandise. Woo. So that was the night we had Sexy Kurt debut. Now, after that segment was over, Kurt Angle put the ankle lock on Sherry. She sold it like a champ, and that led into WrestleMania. Another moment that led into WrestleMania. This was a very hot angle at the time. Very, I don't want to call it controversial, but you know, we're at the tail end. Uh, you know, attitude's pretty much done. We're in 2006 now. Uh, but still, this was pretty damn entertaining. Mickey James having an obsession for Trish Stratus. You know, if you remember where her head ended up a couple of times, it was very, very sexual, the storyline. And this week in 2006, I know if Mish is listening, I guarantee you Jit Gel Rags were present in his house multiple times after that. And if I bring this up, it may have to come out again. All you got to do is look at the outfit that Mickey James is wearing this night. It was sexy. And then when uh, everything transpired after, 
And what she did to an unconscious Tristratus was even sexier. Everybody talks about Becky Lynch with the bloody nose and standing there and posing and how sexy cool it was. And yes, it was cool. I'm not taking it away. But it that also happened this week in 2006. Just to set it up a little bit, a couple of days earlier on Saturday night's main event, Mickey James would officially turn on Trish Stratus. This would lead to their WrestleMania match. And Ash, uh, Ashley Mazzaro, who was also at the time in storyline, good friends with Trish Stratus, she gets involved in this feud as well. Mickey James comes out on Raw with a giant box gift wrapped box about five feet high three feet wide middle of the ring we don't know what's inside the box and you have mickey james looking as sexy as possibly can be wanting to apologize to trish stratus and offering her a gift and this is what went down next what is this You don't want to be my friend anymore, Trish. I mean, even though, I mean, I have given my entire life for you. I mean, just, it's such a shame, really. I mean, Trish, we really could have been beautiful together, you know? Oh. But it's okay. You know, they say every cloud has a silver lining. And mine is that at WrestleMania, I get to face you. Not only that, not only that, but at WrestleMania, Tristratus, I'm going to become the new women's champion. And, and I'm going to give millions of girls an inspiration, someone to look up to, like you were for me. But the difference between you and me, Tristratus, is that I'm not just going to push them aside. No, I'm, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to do anything and everything I can to make them happy. But, but, just to show that there are no hard feelings, I got you a little present. I, I, Trish, I went through a lot, I mean, a lot of trouble to get this for you, if you know what I'm saying. So, I hope you like it. So, Trish Stratus, come on out and open your gift. King, what's in it? No? Trish, you don't want to come out? I mean, how about I give you a little sneak peek of what's inside? How's that? Uh-oh. Come on, open the box. Let's see Mickey's box here. What, what is that? What's this? What, what the? What the hell is that? What do we got here? Something moving. <laughs> oh. Tied up. What's the matter? Oh God, you look so angry. What are you so mad for? Ashley's got, Ashley's got a broken leg. We know Ashley, don't we? Your best friend, Ashley. You know, Ashley called me a psycho. Do you think I'm psycho now, Ashley? Huh? I think one could make that argument. You know what? Better yet, Trisha. I think I'll just keep Ashley, little old Ashley, for myself. What? You don't want to help her? 
She's your friend, right? You don't want to help her? What? Look out, look out. Oh. Oh, finally, Trish has got a hold of Mickey James. Come on, Trish. There you go. And Trish doesn't want to wait till WrestleMania. She wants a piece of this psychopath Mickey James right now. Well, Mickey James has wanted to get her hands on Trish for a long time, but not that way. Well, Trish got to pay attention. <laughs> You knew Mickey wasn't going to be down for very long, and I got to agree with you two. I think she is a psycho. This is as far as she is. That is putting it mildly. Mickey has never gone this far. Now, if you haven't figured it out, there's a lot of Raws and Smackdowns this week in history that lead right into WrestleMania. And this one is no different. We're about to have history on WrestleMania. Ric Flair retiring from the ring, facing Shawn Michaels. Well, this week in 2008 on Monday Night Raw, the last Raw before WrestleMania, we have a segment in the ring between Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. Now, if you remember last week's episode, I had mentioned that Ric Flair beat Vince McMahon on Raw, and this was another one of that, that storyline that if Flair lost, that he would have to retire. And Ric Flair did not want Shawn Michaels interfering in that match. Shawn Michaels did, in fact, interfere at the very end. Ric Flair was not happy about it. This week in 2008, Ric Flair cut this promo, and it led to a very entertaining but sad exchange between him and Shawn Michaels. First of all, Rick, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost respect for me. More importantly, though, I'm sorry to hear that you think that I've lost faith in you. You need to understand something. That could never happen. I didn't come out last week to do anything. Ric Flair is the dirtiest player in the game. The Ric Flair that I know always had his bases covered. He always had backup. That's all I was doing was giving you backup. I was doing what I thought you would do. You need to understand something. You're always gonna be the Nates to me. You're always gonna be the 16-time world champion. And as much as it may bother you, you're always gonna be the limousine riding, wheeling, dealing, jet flying. Shut out!
need anybody anymore to tell me who I am. I'm feeling pretty good about myself and I want to show you something. World Heavyweight Championship. I won it in 1981. This is what you grew up admiring, wanting to know what made a machine like me go. This is a guy that wrestled Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, the Funks, the Briscoes, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Bruiser Brody, the list goes on. And if you were 20 years older, you would have been in the ring with me back then. I don't care what year it is. I don't give a damn where it is. It's 2008. I picked you. Contrary to what anybody thinks, I picked you to wrestle me at WrestleMania because I want to prove on the grandest stage of all that I can still be the nation Ric Flair. I'm talking about WrestleMania, Mr. Showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. I want you to bring the best out in me. I need that. I need that to make it the rest of the way in my life. I need one more night. I need to be the nature. Is that asking too much? Let me assure you of one thing. I'm gonna give you everything you need. I'm gonna give you Shawn Michaels. I'm gonna give you the headliner. I'm gonna give you the main event. I'm gonna give you the icon and rest assured, I've got no choice. I'm gonna give you the showstopper. Come Sunday, Mitch, you're going to step into the ring with Mr. WrestleMania. I would expect nothing less from you, my friend, the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. That's what I want. Thank you. You know, uh, before I go, just so there's no doubt in your mind that you're going to get everything you need and more, I want to remind you of a little story. Remember the story of old Yeller? They loved that dog. But when it was time, they had to take that dog out back 
and finish him. Come Sunday, the showstopper's gonna take you, old yeller, behind the woodshed and put you out of your misery. Two thousand and nine, another memorable moment on Raw. This is the WrestleMania that's going to lead into Randy Orton versus Triple H, and it was this week in two thousand and nine. Towards the end of Raw, we had Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase on behalf of Randy Orton beating down Triple H, handcuffing him to a rope. Stephanie, very, very concerned, climbs up the uh, the the ring apron, and she's on the outside looking at Randy Orton. Randy Orton then proceeds to DDT, Stephanie McMahon knocking her out. And while she's unconscious in the ring, while Triple H is handcuffed to the rope, Randy Orton kisses an unconscious Stephanie McMahon. And if you remember at the time, they were married, and I think they already had one child. So people made a big deal about that kiss. You know, you look back on it, some SJWs of today were very disturbed that somebody could kiss an unconscious woman. Fuck out of here. Yeah, look, that's wrong to do. But the storyline and the way it was, it was supposed to make Randy Orton look sick and twisted, and Stephanie really wasn't unconscious. 2010, Mick Foley loses a career match in TNA. And on the way out, he actually punched Bubba the Love Sponge in the face and legitimately bloodied him. And we all loved it. And the match itself was kind of corny. He lost to Jeff Jarrett. And he would return a few months later. Hey, I thought he was retired. No, what, this, what the deal was... Is that a lot of people that were signed to TNA were signed to a number of appearances. They had uh, just ran through so many appearances for Mick Foley in such a short period of time. They're like, hey, wait a minute, we don't have uh, that many appearances left. So we'll take him off TV for a few months so we can milk it a little bit longer and then we'll bring him back. So that's pretty much what happened. 2011. Yeah, we've been talking about the lead-in to WrestleMania between John Cena and The Rock. Last week, we talked about The Rock concert and John Cena's promos and them going back and forth. Well, this week in 11, there was some controversy because GLAAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, they were not happy at John Cena or the WWE. Some people labeled it as bullying hyper-masculinity. They did not like what was happening in the promos and what some of the stuff John Cena was saying. They were talking about some of his rap 
shipping and some of this other stuff. And they wanted WWE to stop the bullying of gays uh, and help lower suicidal rates in the teen gay population. Look, I'm not going to say anything bad about GLAD. Yes, sometimes they're a little over the top, but their heart's in the right place. And yes, WWE and Cena would adjust dramatically. And to this day, you know, GLAD and WWE are pretty much on the same page, which is a good thing. In this day and age, you don't need to bash gay gays or, you know, the innuendo of it for entertainment purposes. And you know, we've talked about that over the years and even going back in the day why people would use the F word and stuff like that. I used it myself back in the day. But as I always explained, my thinking at that time was I wasn't trying to hurt or offend anybody gay. I was directing that towards a heterosexual male. And where I came from, where you're surrounded by Jersey Shore-looking rejects, you question uh, uh, their manlyhood, that was the ultimate insult you could do. So that's the reason why, not saying that it was right, I'm not trying to justify it, but, you know, people use terms for different reasons. But because it does offend, it's not the right thing to say or, or do, uh, period. And um, looking back on it, I think Glad was actually right in this case. Now we go to 2011, and I can't wait to share this audio. Let's go online and try to find it. I don't know if for some reason Impact Wrestling is maybe be embarrassed to show this. <laughs> it's amazing how many clips they have online. It's amazing how many times they've actually shut this down. But because of my collection, I got it. TNA at Destination X from Orlando. Frankie Kazarian over Brian Kendrick, Amazing Red, and Christopher Daniels in a ladder match to become the number one contender for the TNA X Division champion. Tara over Daphne retained the knockouts title. Rob Terry over Brutus Magnus to retain the global title. Motor City, Motor City Machine Guns. By the way, if I, my voice sounds a little bit off today. I had root canal surgery yesterday. And, you know, they told me that my mouth's going to be swollen for days. And there was no way that I was going to put this show off. If I could talk and be able to comprehend and the pain is not too rough, I was going to do the show. So if I sound a little bit funny, my mouth is still half swollen, and that's legit. Anyway, Motor City Machine Guns over Generation Me in an Ultimate X match to become the number one contender for the World Tag Team titles. The band, Scott Hall and Six Pac over Kevin Nash and Eric Young. After the match was over, Kevin Nash turned on Eric Young and joined up with the band. Doug Williams over Shannon Moore to retain the X Division Championship. Matt Morgan and Hernandez over Beer Money uh, to retain the tag titles. You had Kurt Angle over Kenny Anderson. In the main event, it was AJ Styles versus Abyss for the TNA World Heavyweight title. It ended in a no contest, and this is just a perfect example over uh, of overbooking and just the, the, the definition of clusterfuck. Let me paint this picture a little bit. At the time, Ric Flair, the storyline is that he's in a wheelchair and he can't walk. So he is at ringside, I think with Chelsea? I think she might have wheeled him in ringside. He's in a ring, he's in a wheelchair, but he's, look, Ric Flair as a crazy, deranged old man in a wheelchair at the time, it worked. Ric Flair was the most entertaining part of the whole thing that was going down. But you had Hogan in the company, you had Abyss, 
who was at the time obsessed with Hogan with the ring and everything like that. You had AJ Styles who was aligned with Ric Flair. So I set the picture. So you have AJ Styles versus Abyss, Ric Flair at ringside, and then all this god-awful shit goes down. AJ, turn around! <laughs> Champ's in trouble. But he doesn't know it. He's going to find out. Yeah. Black hole slam. Cover him. Pin him. Could be a new, new champion. champion. I don't know what the hell that was. Screaming, referee screaming. Oh, the low blow by Styles when Abyss had his back turned. Flair going to toss the championship belt into AJ so that he can use it on Abyss. What the hell did Flair spray the, the, the ref foot? I don't I think it was. I don't know if it was Cologne. Oh, look at AJ. Here comes AJ. Oh, shot with the championship belt directly into the head, directly into the face of Abyss. It's like Flair had, I, if you can see the referee, Andrew yeah, Thomas is being well, helped yeah, out. See, it was either like a, a spray, it's maybe it was like some mace or I, It might have been. You couldn't see it on our monitor here, but they just, medical staff just took the referee out of here. Whoa. That was a little snug. Here we go. Take him up. Oh, oh God. God. What the? What the hell? 
looks on the face of the fans around here at ringside, they can't believe it. The only thing that, that you can see is AJ's boots. Well, the match can't continue, so... Well, Hulk Hogan bringing the TNA World Heavyweight Championship belt so down to the... Earl Hebner immediately so called for the belt. Not so fast! Flair wheeled back down to ringside. There's no way well, for the well, match well, to continue. Well, no, well, no well, Flair is living here. Oh, no, no. What? Oh, oh no. Flair? Come on, Nature's in a wheelchair. What? He was in a wheelchair. Abyss physically takes Ric Flair directly out of the wheelchair. Wait, what, what, what's Chelsea got? Now? Chelsea's got that, whatever that spray is, that mace or that cologne, whatever. Ah! Oh! And Hogan directs the spray directly into the face of Flair to blinds the nature boy. Look at Flair, he looks like a fish out of water. Flair flopping around. Well, that. Here comes AJ and Flair's associate, Desmond Wolf. Well, that's just back and forth, Hogan yeah. and Abyss just pinballing him. One from the monster, one from the Hulkster. Now, now Wolf got some, got some mace. Wolf blinded oh. How big is that hole? Destruction made by the monster abyss with, with our champion's body right through the ring. Now talk about going into the abyss. That's what happened for AJ Styles, Desmond Wolf, and Rick Flair. Referee Earl Hefty just had to throw this match out. What the hell else could he do, Taz? Well, there's nothing he could do. You gotta wonder the condition of AJ Styles. I mean, I know it's an enjoyable moment right now for, for Abyss with Hulk Hogan. And I, I've personally been put for a ring. Not many people can say that, but I gotta tell you, AJ's gotta be in bad shape. So we ended up with Ric Flair, AJ Styles, and Desmond Wolf in a hole. You had multiple people sprayed in the face with stuff. It was, uh, it was not good. Anyway, 2011. Unfortunately, the problems with Kurt Angle and alcohol would continue. God bless him for cleaning up his act now. But in 2011, long story short, TNA had an event in uh, Grand Forks, North North Dakota. And uh, after the event, Kurt Angle, under the influence, a motorist drove by and called police that there was a vehicle in the median. State troopers showed up, found Kurt Angle drunk behind the wheel. Vehicle was not moving at the time. First, Kurt Angle said that he hit an icy, icy patch, on, patch on the dry road. The trooper said there's no ice around. Then Kurt Angle said that he had gotten a text message, distracted him, and he had lost control. Um, He failed the sobriety test and was arrested for it. And this was the third arrest 
uh, while working for TNA since 2006. And, you know, thank God, again, that he has cleaned up his act. You know, look, you know, the stress and the pain, and I'm not justifying it, but I still remember at the time doing shows and the denial by Kurt Angle was sad. You know, can't believe this is happening to me. I'm celebrity. They want to go after me and blah, 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 blah. It was never his fault. Then he finally owned up to it, cleaned himself up. And his wife right now, she's a superstar. Trust me. She don't get enough praise. But believe me when I tell you, she gets uh, a lot of praise from me. Not just because she's Italian. She's, she's, she's an awesome woman. 2013, I remember seeing this on TMZ, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Sean Waltman, X-Pac, has a match against Jerry Lynn in Minneapolis. After the match is over, we find out that Waltman is in the hospital. Somehow, he tore his ass. Yeah, he actually tore his bunghole. And I think it's from the Bronco Buster. I mean, I didn't bother, like, looking up the details on it, but I just remember... Seeing us on Twitter, reading it on TMZ, and I'm like, wait a minute, he actually really did tear his ass. And I think that may have happened more than once in his life. I kid you not. Unreal. 2014, regular episode of Monday Night Raw. And during the night, we get a match, a fatal four-way, to determine a number one contendership to Big E's Intercontinental Championship. The matches between Christian, Dolph Ziggler, Sheamus, and Alberto Del Rio. And match was good. As you will hear, it wasn't bad. The winner ended up being Christian. And they hyped up that on, I think it was the main event, we would have Christian facing Big E for the Intercontinental Championship. That was supposed to take place, I think, the next day. And, you know, it was cool. I mean, Christian, we were still bitter as fans that his heavyweight title run was so short. I remember when he lost it, he was on social media telling all of us who were complaining, don't worry, everyone, I'll get it back. Never happened. Not for any extended period of time, it didn't. But anyway, the match never takes place the next day on main event. We get a little press release online that uh, Christian has been pulled from the match. No explanation given. We find out later that Christian had suffered a concussion during the four-way match. I still can't figure out exactly where. I don't want to pin any blame on anybody or anything, but I know some of you immediately think, wait a minute, Sheamus, Daniel Bryan, don't tell me Sheamus did it. I honestly don't know. But what was sad about it is this four-way match for the number one contendership, that would end up being Christian's last ever match in wrestling. He has never wrestled again as of this taping of this show. So let's flash back in a little tribute to Christian, his last ever match in pro wrestling. Fatal four-way match here. And again, a first man to gain pinfall or submission will pick up the victory and will battle for the Intercontinental Championship. No count-outs, no disqualifications. That's why Sheamus and Christian with a long rivalry going at it at ringside. And well, outside the ring, Sheamus and Christian going at it inside. Alberto Del Rio taking it to Dolph Ziggler. Man, 
I don't think Christian is going to like the fact this is no disqualification. Sheamus can do whatever he wants. Yeah, nobody would like that. Last thing you need, Sheamus, is a license to do oh. more things. You know what I like about this match, too? Think about the history between all four of these guys. Sheamus oh, and Christian recently. Look at this, look at Dolph this. Ziggler, shoulders down and a kick out. Dolph and Del Rio have had a history. Sheamus and Del Rio as well. Look at these guys. You need eyes in the back of your head in a fatal four-way match. Dolph almost, almost stole one there from Christian. Oh! The other interesting thing about this match is all four of these men will be a part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal in two weeks at WrestleMania. I said Christian, of course, meant Sheamus. Look at this. And a kick out by Dolph Ziggler. Prestigious Intercontinental Championship held by Big E, who won the title back in November. And Big E has been quite the fighting champion. Oh, watch Dolph, though. Look at that. Kick by Ziggler. And here comes Christian and Del Rio, where they just biding their time cover and a kick out by Sheamus. So I think they were fighting each other for a second, and then they decided, let's go in the ring and fight these other two guys. That's the key to Fatal 4-Way. You just pick your spot. What's Christian thinking here? You just have to take advantage. Christian going to launch himself over the oh, top. No. Oh, and he's caught by Sheamus. Uh-oh. They cut the Almost broke Christian in half. Ziggler knocks Del Rio off the apron. Dolph, Dolph's the only man in the ring. What a nice drop kick. <laughs> All the way to top of the head of Del Rio. What is Sheamus thinking here? Watch out. And Del Rio caught Sheamus. I thought he didn't know. No, he didn't. He, he missed him. Stepped him. Del Rio missed him. And Ziggler, though, connected. opening that Dolph Ziggler needs here. Del Rio. Hurt right now. Another drop kick. Dolph Ziggler into the cover. Up to the leg on Del Rio. Kicks out at two. Big E's a lot better on commentary when he doesn't say anything. And once again, Christian getting involved. Christian just hanging out, biding his time. While the other competitors beat the heck out of each other. He understands. All you got to do is pick the right spot. You don't have to beat all three. You just got to cover one for a three count. And Sheamus now sends Christian in himself. Into the timekeeper area. There are bodies everywhere. Mayhem in this fatal four-way match to determine the number one contender for Big E's Intercontinental this is title. Wild. I love it. Furious oh. action here Man. on Monday Night Raw fatal four-way match. Determine number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. Del Rio Whoa. and Singler have been going at it in the ring. As Big E, the Intercontinental Champion, looks on it. Ziggler dropped on his face. Oh, this man. match has been insane. Also in this match, Sheamus, who you see there, and Christian, who is at ringside as well. First man to gain pitfall or submission wins the matchup. Sheamus, oh, not over here, not over here. Rolling set. Watch your back, Sheamus. And now Christian looks in the right hand. And the brawling Irishman. Shoulder first into the post, and now Christian with an opening. That's also the shoulder the same as hers. No, don't tell me. Cross by rolls through, got the leg, and a kick on it, too. And Christian with a right hand knocks down Ziggler. Christian, who's been a yeah, Christian, was almost caught with that roll through there by Dolph Ziggler. Christian having all kinds of problems with Sheamus as of late, but winning this match would change that all. 
sold out tonight at Brooklyn, 15,708. A very vocal crowd. They are here to have fun tonight, guys. Got to lay by Christian. Is he going to face Big E again? The winner tomorrow night on main event against Big E for the Intercontinental title. Takes place live on the WWE Network. I keep glancing over here at Big E, and he does not look, uh, uh, he's watching intently, but he doesn't look too happy. Look what I think he's, he's a little worried. Look what's trending worldwide on Twitter right now, guys. No kidding. Fatal four-way and Intercontinental title. Oh! Uh-oh, Christian. Little bit of payback. Oh, man. Uh, Running high knee. And now it's Del Rio back into the action. And he's caught in the Irish curse backbreaker. Oh, boys, don't let Sheamus get on a roll here. And there goes Christian. Del Rio wisely rolling out of the apron, or maybe not so wise. You know what Sheamus likes to do when his opponent's out there? Yeah. What do you call it, JBL, a clubberin'? This As is the, the dream would say, Sheamus about to go a clubberin'. And as Sheamus calls it, the 10 beats of the Bowen, which is Six, a restricted. Yeah, that's no way to treat Mexico's greatest export. You want to tell us again in this match that he's the greatest export from Mexico? Sheamus all by himself. Mexico's greatest exports outside. How about that, Michael? Sheamus heading up to the top rope. Oh, Sheamus, no. You can't Watch it out there. Look at Ziggler. Oh, let's go, Sheamus. Is this going to be Ziggler's You got him, Ziggy. Ziggler's got to roll that body over. He's got the two on the And a kick out by Sheamus. Staying in it. Ziggler can't believe it. Neither can Big A. Look at this. Head plant. No rest for the weary. Fatal four-way rules. Christian back in. <laughs> He's hitting poor Christian faster than these. The universe can count. Neckbreaker by Ziggler. Uh-oh, look out. Del Rio. Miss with a big kick. Ziggler. Uh-oh. He plays Rio. He's got him for the show-off. He's got him. Ziggler's got him. And Del Rio stays alive. Another near fall. Big E looks nervous. Drop those elbows, Dolph. Oh, Christian's got it. Christian uh, grabbing the hair there, but remember, no disqualification under fatal four-way rules. Dolph went for the famous and Sir Christian. Sit out, power bomb. Check out Del Rio. Oh, right to the back of the head. Christian never saw it coming. Seamus saving the matchup. Did he ever? That was it. What a great battle. Trendy number one in the world right yeah. now. Fatal four-way. Sheamus going for the cloverleaf. The submission move. Del Rio Look trying Del to fight out of it. Del Rio knows this is not where he wants to be. Look at Sheamus still trying to lock in. And he's oh, got him. Oh, no. He got him finally. Is Del Rio going to tap out to the cloverleaf here? Submission move. Sheamus has it locked in. Christian alive in the ring and forces oh. Sheamus to break. Ooh. Sheamus wants the home run, he wants the broad kick, but who's he going to kick? Oh, kick kick Christian, kick Christian. That was a nice one for Alberto. Kick Christian. Oh, oh Del Rio. Intercepted Sheamus. Over the cross arm breaker. Submission move here. He's locked in. Is Sheamus going to top out to the cross arm breaker from Alberto Del Rio? It's right in the middle of the ring. And on Sheamus' bad shoulder, the left shoulder. And now Del Rio's got it locked in. Sheamus trying to oh, wait, fight wait, wait, wait. through this. 
He's taking some of that pressure off. Look at and this. The, oh, my Shades gosh. Bob Backlund. Sheamus. That is impressive. And now Sangler. Sangler. So is that. And now Look Christian. No. He got him. Christian. He got him. It's the opportunist. Yes, he is. Are you kidding? He's got a battle for the Intercontinental title. Over to this match at number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. Christian! What an incredible match here tonight! And out tomorrow night on the WWE Network, Big E and Christian for the Intercontinental title. Big E offering his hand to congratulate Christian on his victory. Christian laughing it off. Christian's going for a title, not Mr. Congeniality. So tomorrow night, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, live on the WWE Network, it's official. Big E and Christian will battle for the prestigious Intercontinental Championship. What a match we just saw. That was awesome. Big E's going to have his hands full, John, tomorrow night. Finally, 2016. God rest his soul. We have to mention it anyway. We're all on Twitter all the time. It wasn't that long ago. We go on social media, we go on Twitter, and all I keep seeing is, did you see what, what Vader put on his page? You see what Vader put on his page? I'm like, no, what did he put on his page? Picture of him with his penis hanging out. And it was just weird because I, I met Vader a couple of times, talked to him on the phone once, you know, when he was doing stuff with the Mass Maniac, soft-spoken man. I sung the praise of Vader way before he passed on. And um, it was just weird. Like, why would Vader post a picture of himself, like, laying on a bed? It almost looked like in a hotel room. And it's just his penis is just hanging over, like, no big deal. I think he was wearing shoes at the time. <laughs> I haven't revisited that picture, by the way. But um, it just was an odd thing to see. Well, it ends up that he was dating someone at the time, right before that. They broke up. And because she had access to a social media account, because she used to tweet for him a lot of times, he didn't think to change his password. So she logged into his Twitter after they broke up and she posted the nude. So, you know, originally Vader, you know, when he said he got hacked, he technically did. But really, in all actuality, his ex-girlfriend logged into his account and posted the nude. Said, funny, God rest his soul. Sorry we had to mention it, but it was news. Notable birthdays this week. Those who passed away that are no longer with us. Happy birthday, Chris Candido. Gorgeous George, Jumbo Saruta. Dick Slater, The Spoiler, Bobby Fuller, Rick Quickdraw McGraw, Gino Garibaldi, Rito Romero, Joe Corbett, Frank Townsend, Panchito Villalobos, Chief War Eagle, Toyona Bori, Frank Dalton, Rayu Mago. Sahori and Pat McClary. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Joe Carollo turns 79. Gallo Tabato, 77. Johnny Powers, 76. Takumi Sakurai and Scott Casey, 72. Buck Zumoff, rotten jail, motherfucker. You turn 68. Frank Starr, 63. Wayne Bloom, 61. Sting turns 60. Barry Horowitz, 59, Jimmy Corderas, 57, Valente Fernandez, Terry Sims, and Brazo de Plata, 56. The Undertaker turns 54, Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, and Eddie Watts turn 51. Volano, number three, Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels and Medeja turn 49. Slayer and Hiroshi Tenzan, 48. American Kickboxer, 47. 
Takayuki Yaji and Taruko Kagawa turn 44. Hikaru Amai and Jessica Dolan turn 43. Homicide El Amo de la Noche, Caprice Coleman and Kayuko Kimura turn 42. Ray Gordy and Mitsuhiro Yoshida turn 40. Taichi turns 39, Amigo Suzuki, Danger King and Daniel Mishima turn 38. Jack Swagger, Epico, and Max Sled turn 37. Matt Seidel, 36. Jimmy Havoc and Jiggy Walker turn 35. Lana, Gilligan Gordon, Matt Taven, and Brandon Collins turn 34. AJ Brooks, Triton, Danny Dugan, Omar Duncan, and Chest Flexor turn 32. Tom Nakano, Yoshikatsu Yokoyama, Angel Deroro, Ryo Mizunabi, and Jonathan Greshman turn 31. Sam Udell and Chris Navarro turn 30. Lacey Evans and Franz Engel turn 29. Killer Kelly, 27. Dre Jacobs and Koji Iwamoto, they turn 26. Mayu Yamashita turns 24. Bia Presley turns 23. Maria Maniac, 22. And happy birthday, Momo Watanabe turns 19. Notable debuts this week in history. Chris Candido debuted in 86. Jerry Lynn in 88. Gato and Jado in 89. Triple H in 1992. Corey Graves in 2000. And David Otunga, 2009. And finally, notable deaths this week. Those who passed away this week in history. Scotty Williams died at age 94. Freddie Nichol at 88. Juventino Romero, 86. Joe Blanchard, 83. Baron Miguel Cicluna and Paul Christie died at age 80. Sailor R. Thomas at 79. Sheik Mar Allah at 78. Wally Carbo at 77. Monte Ledoux at 76. Warren Bockwinkle and Fred Grubmeyer died at age 74. Bill Miller and Ira Dern at 69. Rudy K. 68. Moondog Spike. So Oliver Humperdinck and Al Massey died at age 62. Ray Mendoza Jr. at 57, Felino 55, Frank Parker 49, Steve Dahl died at age 48, Bestia Salvaje at 46, Big John Studd at 45, Koto Fuyuki at 42, Cincinnati Red at 40, Skull Murphy died at age 39, Abismo Negro at 37, Pedro Aguayo Jr. at 34, Brian Cox at 33, and Joey Kidman died at only age 22. And there you go. This week in wrestling history. Follow me on Twitter at Don Tony D, the website dontony.com. Email me, Don Tony at dontony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. Don't forget, we now have a Discord channel. It is active, it is booming, and it is constantly interactive and busy. Sign up, it's free. You will absolutely love it. The links are on all our synopsis pages. And as always, patreon.com slash dontony. If you want to help us with the expenses of all these shows, help keep these free for everyone, keep the bills paid, the lights on, sign up there. It's a little as five bucks. Not only do you help us with the expenses of the show, but we give you a ton in return. Every other week, it's Breakfast Soup hosted by yours truly, Amish. Every other week, Kevin Castle does his Castle Chronicles solo show. We now have a live show every Tuesday right after SmackDown, only on Patreon. Blah, blah, blah show that I do that's everything but wrestling. That is every Friday. You get ad-free episodes of the DTKC show, Breakfast of Blasi, early releases of this show, pay-per-view uh, recaps, 
We have prediction contests, giveaways. There is so much there. Vintage episodes of the Mass Maniac Show. Early episodes of my hotline report that go back 20 some odd years. Lost episodes of the Minority Report. Everything is up there. $5 gets you everything. And if you sign up now, you have access to everything we've ever did over there. So you got hundreds and hundreds of hours of content waiting for you that you have never listened to before. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone, I will be back in one week with season two, episode 13 of This Week in Wrestling History. I hope you enjoyed this one, and I will catch you soon. Take care, everyone. Ciao. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.